Hi, this is Kevin McCullough. Thanks for listening to the Christian Outlook podcast, where we cover today's issues from a perspective that honors your Christian faith. Our podcast is brought to you through a partnership with the Pepperdine Graduate School of Public Policy. Here's another piece I trust you'll enjoy. Some years ago, my guest this hour was, uh, by his own admission, living the high life. I mean, literally, he worked at a, as a, at a business owned by one of the biggest cocaine dealers on the East Coast, partied uh, with the music moguls, professional athletes, uh, athletes while self-medicating on drugs and alcohol. But, wow, I tell you what, what a story. And it's a dear friend's story because for years now, He's been walking with the Lord and bringing hope and healing to thousands of others. Craig Brown is our dear and longtime friend. Many of us here at WAVA have had the privilege of working with him while he was our local sales manager for a number of years here at WAVA. Uh, since 1999, also serving as the recovery pastor and director at Church of the Redeemer in Gaithersburg, Maryland. And now, on top of all of that, he's written a powerful new book, That's what we want you to know about this hour. It's called Stop Hiding, Start Healing. Craig, my friend, I look forward to this visit. Thank you for joining me. My dear, dear brother, thank (laughs) you so much for inviting me on, my friend. Well, I tell you, we go back a long way, clear back to when I first came in in 1997. I still remember those early days together here, and and, uh, you served the Lord so effectively while you were here, but God obviously brought you through some uh, real firestorms that now uh, he's using you to bless others with. So thank you for well, your faithful witness. Uh, thank you. Thank you, uh, Don. Yeah, it's interesting. I was thinking when you and I first met, let's see, 97, I was about 12 years out of that deep, dark pit mm. of uh, drug use and alcohol and uh and that just depressing, painful, mm. you know, muck and mire I was in. Um, and so I was 12 years out of that when you and I first met. And I was thinking about that. Actually, you and I shared some, you know, some intimate stories about loved ones we yep. knew who struggled yep. and what have you. And, yep. yeah, and, you know, I've always had a heart for, you know, those uh, who, um, you know, who struggle in all, in all ways of life. And, Craig, what started the whole thing? What's your testimony about how it began? And uh, really, I think I read that you got a revelation of some sort that you were going to end up a dead man if you didn't change yeah. your ways, right? Yeah, absolutely. Don, I, um, as, I, as the first chapter of my book, the pain in my life was greater than my fear. Mm. And, you know, that is, that's something that uh, all of us use in ministry, uh, as a gauge, you know, in someone, if they're ever going to get well, if they're ever going to get well, you know, has the has the pain level surpassed their fear of change uh-huh. and their fear of getting well? And I was standing next to my dad's bed uh, in the intensive care unit uh, when he was very ill, and he, uh, they had told us he, he has hours uh, whether he will live or die. Now, I was clean and sober about six, seven years at that time. And, and, but the Lord, and this is, this is amazing how God does this, because my dad and I, I, Don, honestly, we weren't that close. And that was part of the reason. I had searched for 
just acceptance and, you know, and, and for meaning and purpose. And, and, you know, he just wasn't giving me that, you know? And so I was searching everywhere to be, to belong. And, and as a result, I medicated all the pain. I just used drugs and everything else to medicate the pain and hide. Mm. But as the Lord would have it, the one guy, the one guy that I wanted to tell me how much he loved me, was proud of me, and he was dying. Mm. And the Lord brought me right to his bedside in an intensive care unit. And this is when the pain in my life was greater than my fear of changing. It changed my life forever, standing there. It shook me to my core as I stood at the foot of his bed with all the, with all the cables and everything attached. And, and that was it. Uh, up until that point, I had had numerous near-death experiences up until that point. And I had been searching, searching. And so I left that hospital room, Don, and I prayed. And for the first time in my life, just a prayer, uh, and no one led me, just a prayer of, God, I can't do this anymore. Yeah. I cannot do this anymore. I cannot go on anymore. And I just said, you know, come into my life, Lord, take over my life. Please take this pain, take this shame, take this hurt. Just take. And I cried my eyes out for over an hour. And I stood up a different man than when I first knelt down. And my life has not been the same since. And it was on that day that my recovery began and the Lord uh, appointed me at some point to be able to do what I'm doing now and serving others that, were, that are struggling and, and are where I used to be. And my passion is to help them avoid that. Or if you're in that, all right, here's a path out. And it starts at the cross. Craig, uh, we know that the pandemic itself really took a toll, it continues to take one, as a matter of fact, and so many different ways on families and children and adults. Uh, what have you found in that regard in terms of your own ministry during this uh, troubled season? It's wreaked havoc on, um, uh, you know, and it, probably everybody. I mean, not even not just people in recovery, but if, if someone was struggling with isolation and pain and shame and addiction, uh, you know, their entire lifeline was taken from them because I'm a firm believer that healing happens in circles where chairs are in circles and people can be face-to-face, heart-to-heart. Now, all that was taken away, totally taken away. So it did. It wreaked havoc on on the entire, uh, you know, community, but specifically the recovery community because uh, the accountability was gone, the care was gone, the, you know, the, the, the face-to-face, heart-to-heart um, conversations and support and accountability was taken away. And as a result, you, you see in the news that there were over 100,000 100, deaths due to drug uh, overdose um, in 2021, All right, you know. So it's been, you know, uh, suicides are up, alcohol yeah. consumption's up, pornography uh, consumption is up. Um, I saw a report today um, that uh, young teenage girls, the, uh, the elevated sadness uh, that is, it's just, it's just uh, horrible what, ha- what that has done. 
but at the same time, the silver lining is, you know, Jesus is Lord. And, uh, you know, we, we, ha- we have to keep guiding people to him yeah. because he's the only one that can satisfy, heal, restore, and transform. I mean, that's, you know, and that's up to us. That's up to you and I and uh, all the others that are caring for people that are really going through difficult life situations. Well, you, you have a story I want to get to in a moment, but when I read the story, it reminded me of a, 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 a remarkable statement I read years and years ago, and you maybe have heard it. It simply says, in the darkness of age, a child lies weeping. And you mm-hmm. talk about a 55-year-old gentleman for the first time admitting that he'd been molested at age six and for 49 years lived out that pain, that hidden pain, by being angry mm-hmm. at everybody, uh, fighting anyone in his path. Talk about that whole issue of so many unresolved uh, crimes, really, against people that have been committed that nobody knows about. And uh, Absolutely. Yeah, elaborate yeah, I mean, on that. Uh, Go ahead. Yeah, I, I, I will. I mean, um, now here's the beauty of church. Here's the beauty of safety. Here's the beauty of trust. And when people, when you combine a Christ-centered environment, and, and unfortunately, it doesn't happen in every church. Okay, wow. let's just let's just get that on the uh, table. Uh, I wish it did, but it doesn't. But when you do have these beacons of hope all over the world, and specifically in our area or the country, right, where people, for the first time yeah. in their entire life, they've been carrying that shame that pain and that hurt and that guilt for I've, I've, I've seen it over two decades, Don, for five, 10, 20, 30 years. And the gentleman you've referenced was, he was molested when he was young. Now I've been in numerous men's groups and have had the privilege of hearing story and miracle after miracle where they, for the first time in their life, they shared about that abuse. And, Don, I'm telling you, when you, you could just see their countenance change, you could just see the chains mm. being snapped yep. for the first time in their sweet life. And, what, and then, they were, for the first time, they were able to verbalize that. And, and God, you know, God's all about, let's talk about this now. Let's not hold this in. And the whole purpose of my book was, is... For over two decades, Don, I see people still going to church and hiding this. They go to church, and churches are the best places to hide. Why? Because we all put on that, you know, that mask that, oh, everything's great. Marriage, oh, yeah, kids, everything's going just fine. Really? No, no, it's not. It's not. But the church should be the first place you go to uh, to allow the Lord. And Jesus is the only one that can crush that shame. So if you're hiding that pain, that guilt, that abuse, that trauma, and you've never, ever, you don't want to go to it because it hurts too much. And I understand. I used to be there. But uh, over the course of years, though, it builds up. And the enemy, that enemy will target that shame because it comes from the pit of hell He'll wrap, he'll just put it on your soul and attach it to your soul until the day where the pain is greater than your fear. And Jesus will come, you allow Jesus in, and he begins to crush that shame. 
And I'm and over two decades of, of of recovery ministry, Don, shame is the number one. It's number one yeah. in keeping good people, good people in bondage to their pain. And churches need to be the place where you can just be an environment where please come to the pulpit, come to the altar and just allow the Lord to come in and touch those painful areas of your life. Well, you'll it, it'll, it'll change your life forever. Now, speaking of some of these people you've cited in the book, I did want you to tell about the fellow. I was uh, The story jumped, jumped out at me. Uh, the guy who uh, didn't get along with his father, really didn't have a close relationship, uh, he chose either to go to college and party or buckle down and really become what you said was one of the world's renowned pediatric cardiologists Yes. Uh, basically using the I'll show you approach. Talk about that dynamic. That's very fascinating. Yeah, he and I attended church together at another uh, very early on, um, and we were part of the men's group, and we got to know each other pretty well, and our our number of couples fellowship together. But he is a very renowned um, pediatric cardiologist, well known in the in the world or in the country, if not the world, and he's down at um, at Children's and different hospitals. But um, but he and I were sharing about our past together, and it was very very similar. And it's interesting when he when he and I both arrived at that baseline, where the at that crossroads, he was flirting with the ideas, well, it's just, you know, uh, just forget it, go to the party, just, you know, uh, no. medicate, just, you know, and, um, and, but he had a change of heart, and he was determined, determined to show his dad that he could be a success, and hence, he, he uh, went to, went to, went to college, went to medical school, and now he's in a, he is one of the top pediatric, pediatric, cardiologist in the country. Uh. I, on the other hand, uh, <laughs> I made the decision, uh, uh, the polar opposite yeah. of my dear friend and doctor, and said, you know what? I, I just don't care. You know, I just don't care. I don't have the self-discipline. I don't have the, I, I hate school. I don't have the self-control. I, I have no mission and purpose right now in my life. So I'm going to go work at this business in Washington, D.C., and lo and behold, it's run by, owned by the biggest cocaine dealer on the East Coast, and I got sucked up into that drug life, and it was an absolute disgusting, painful experience for all, the, all those years until, you know, the healer came and set me free. But two very, very similar backgrounds to Stark. Just total different outcomes, which is amazing. But it's all it all began with a decision, and most addiction begins with a really bad decision, and uh, that's what happened to me. Well, you also I'm interested in some of these stories that unfold uh, the, the way God uses uh, people in different circumstances. And in the, the case that you mentioned in one of the stories, uh, uh, you said, I'll never forget the day the Lord nudged me to go confront Mike. What's that all about? Oh, wow. The, uh, I, I, Mike 
the Lord used Mike to, um, I don't know what word to launch or enter, uh, begin with abundance of empathy, my ministry to people, uh, guys in particular, that struggle with drugs, alcohol, and all kinds of addictions. And uh, after uh, I, we, I met Mike at church, and every time, every encounter, I smelled alcohol in his breath. And this happened over weeks and months until one day after church, I went to my wife, Debbie, and I said, you know, the Lord's really inspiring me to go confront gently, lovingly, biblically, Mike. And, and she goes, go for it. So I drove to his house, and thank goodness he wasn't there. So I, 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 I breathed a sigh of relief, got back <laughs> in my car, and drove away. I'm like, thank you. And who calls me as I'm on 270 North, Mike? Hey, I just saw you. Hey, you were at my house. I'm like, uh, yeah. Wow. And he goes, well, I'm home now. I'm like, and I was, Don, seriously, I was at my exit. I went off the exit, went over to the other exit southbound, and went back to his house. And I sat in his living room lovingly. And I said, you have a real problem with alcohol, don't you? And he was shocked, absolutely stunned. But, but, uh... I've loved him from that day, and I've been there for him from that day. He went through a major just life uh, challenge, uh, divorce, and other issues, but he came back out on the other side as a result. wasn't me. was not me. But the Lord used me lovingly with an abundance of empathy, and, um, and I just thank him to this day. And, um, you know, Mike is one of my dearest, closest friends. Craig, I wanted to ask you about uh, what advice you'd give to anybody who has a friend, a family member, a loved one. And uh, maybe obviously or maybe not so obviously, you just suspect they're in trouble with some kind of an, uh, of an addiction. How do you bridge that gap? How do you b- broach the subject, I guess? Yeah, very hard to do, Don. Extremely hard to do, especially when uh, families have that individual living under the roof. Um, They notice the behavior changes. They notice the erratic uh, sleep uh, uh, behavior. They know, you know, they notice uh, attitudes um, and, you know, anger, um, withdrawn, isolated, um, et cetera, or the peer group they hang out with or what have you. And that's just, you know, young people. Spouses, same thing. Um, more and more spouses, you know, try to hide the fact that their husband or that their wife is struggling in some some way, shape, or form, or what have you. But confronting the individual, uh, well, we have a biblical blueprint, but far far more people uh, find it extremely difficult. To say anything, and I understand. I totally empathize. My family had no clue what to do with me, but I get that. I understand that. And on this side, uh, I see it all the time. Now, I'm, I'm, of course, in a position after you know 38 years of being clean, sober, and serving in minute recovery ministry, um, I can approach just about you know anyone you know in some way, shape, or form. But the family member, the loved one, oh gosh, Don, it's so difficult to do. But here's here's just a just a very direct reminder 
to those loved ones who have someone that they love that struggles. Uh, there's a saying that says, if you remain silent, you'll remain silent right up until their grave. Mm. And my encouragement, especially in this day and age, with TikTok and all these other, the enemies using all these other platforms to just bombard people that are struggling, speak up. If And, oh, I don't want to, you're, I think the Apostle Paul said that if you haven't offended anybody in your life, you haven't cared enough. Uh, who cares if you offend them? If you if they are, if they are struggling and heading down that path of destruction, say something. Get in their face lovingly. You know you have to put uh, parameters in place, guidelines, action plans, and that's where recovery uh, Christ Center Recovery Ministries come in in to help families all the time we have for the last 23 years you know and if you feel ill-equipped to do it yourself well you you look online maybe find a celebrate recovery or find a good christ-centered uh, counselor or others or an addiction counselor uh, christ-centered you know a christian addiction they're out there i mean they are there there are resources that abound if you feel ill-equipped to do it yourself we touched on it earlier a bit, Craig, but really the one place where people ought to be able to get help is too often the one they can't, and that's the church. Uh, what yeah. can churches do to be more effective in these areas? Um, well, they should uh, be a little bit more transparent, bold, and speak from the pulpit about pain, shame, guilt, and other life issues, especially post-COVID. Um you know, they should really be intentional about reaching the congregation at the pain level because, you know, oftentimes pastors, you know, they um, may not be totally equally yoked with the tenor or the what's going on in the congregation. You know, they may think they are, but, um, you know, especially post-COVID, um, everybody is struggling with something and everybody is hiding from something. And so, you know, the atmosphere uh, at every church, wherever the gospel is being preached, um, should be more, they should be more intentional about uh, talking about the difference between secular recovery, for instance, and Christ-centered recovery. Secular recovery is all about getting clean and sober, and that's great, but Christ-centered recovery is all about restoring the soul, Psalm yeah. 23. You know, have your soul, uh, he restores my soul yeah. and then launches me on a path of righteousness. That's the difference between secular recovery, who they don't even touch the soul. You know what I mean? And it's not all about getting sober and clean. It's about being healed, restored, transformed, saved, born again, and living a life of mission and purpose and in God's will. That's the difference between Christ-centered recovery and secular recovery. And churches need to be a—all churches should be a recovery uh, beacon of hope. Every single one of them are, because the Bible is—guess what? It's a recovery manual. <laughs> I like it. Yes, it is. And you know, uh, we've gone through this. We've just come through this uh, period of time, literally, of wearing masks in church. And yeah. thank God we're past that. But Ray Steadman wrote a, a great book a few years ago, a number of years ago now, called Authentic Christianity, in which yeah. he talked about churches that uh, where everybody comes and they have a mask on. In terms of, they usually get a stick with a smiley face on it. And they all hold it up, and so the 
the uh, person who's in pain comes in and he he doesn't feel any sense of uh, belonging because he's hurting or she's hurting really badly. Exactly. And all these Christians yeah. seem to be so uh, clean and perfect and nice and happy. Talk about the uh, need to get rid of our masks and uh, share our pain and uh, what uh, and guilt as as uh, is appropriate. Well, uh, that's just it. You'll never be able to heal until you reveal your true self. Yeah. You'll never be able to heal until you allow the healer in to crush the shame that is uh, that is in bond, that is that has your soul in bondage. You just won't do it. Now, you get, what do you mean, Craig? I, I'm, I'm in leadership at church, or I serve in the worship team, or I do. Yeah. I get it. Yeah. You know, where we go and come together and fellowship and worship together. That's all great. But, uh, but I see, Don, over two decades, people that do that, and then after service, they go to the parking lot, and they go, I didn't have to tell anyone. Yeah. My life was in turmoil. But it's all about surrounding yourself with the right people. And I wish I could say churches were the, had tons of right people, but even there, maybe not. But you can find them there and find people that you trust, people that are safe, people that you can share delicate, sensitive issues with, and primarily in small groups and preferably like a Celebrate Recovery or, or Life Recovery groups or something that the church has to offer. But that the church should be uh, should be that place, but one will never ever heal until they come out of hiding, and that's a matter of taking that mask off. And why do we hide? Because we just don't feel that good about ourselves. But when you have the love of the Lord and that that uh, the the power of the Holy Spirit, and you allow that to work in your life by taking off the mask and you stop hiding, start healing. He will come in and he will work miracles in your life. But you, we have to come out of hiding first and have it and meet him at the cross. Well, on that note, we have to break. But as I've already said, we want to have you back and uh, in studio and take some calls as well. And so uh, I know it's already helped a lot of people. Thank you, my friend. I look forward to seeing you in person soon. Absolutely. Love you, Don. Take care. Love you, too. Craig Brown. One more time, he is, of course, an author, obviously. Stop hiding, start healing. He's also the recovery pastor at the Church of the Redeemer in Washington, D.C. I should say in the Washington, D.C. area, up in Gaithersburg. And they have a recovery program there that's been going on for years that he's been providing leadership for as well. Thanks for listening to Christian Outlook. Our program is coming to you today in partnership with the Pepperdine Graduate School of Public Policy. It's America's most unique graduate leadership programs offered on Pepperdine's breathtaking campus in Malibu, California. Learn more at publicpolicy.pepperdine.edu. If you enjoy our podcast, take a moment and tell a friend to subscribe today.